You are listening to KaneCast, a podcast that provides commentary on the economy and financial markets by the Kane Anderson Rudnick Investment Management Team. Hello, this is Jordan Greenhouse, Senior Managing Director with Kane Anderson Rudnick. And with me today, I have Chris Armbruster, Portfolio Manager of the Kane Anderson Rudnick Midcap Growth Portfolio. Chris, thank you very much for the time and the insight you provide our listeners. Chris, let's start out with this. Equity markets have performed extremely well during the fourth quarter in stark contrast to the first quarter of 2020. With the election behind us and the first phase of distribution of COVID-19 vaccine going into place, are there any changes you anticipate making with relation to the portfolio? While we do not seek to make macroeconomic calls in the management of our portfolios, the effectiveness of the vaccine has moved forward the recovery timeline for a number of our names, notably those whose performance lagged this year's high flyers. That shift in expected economics prompted us to make a few incremental changes, adding some weight to names which benefit from a sooner-than-expected economic recovery, and trimming some names which have been significant beneficiaries of the shelter-in-place, work-from-home phenomenon. Importantly, we don't think that the economy returns to normal immediately. But the administration of the vaccines in the coming months paves the way for businesses to rethink near-term spending priorities and many consumers to entertain plans for 2021 beyond the four walls of their home. While it is overly simplistic to classify stocks into just two buckets, the correlation among stocks within the pandemic basket and those within the recovery basket has been high. As we look forward to 2021, we expect the relative rate of growth for these two baskets to converge as the blistering growth of the pandemic basket moderates and the dormant recovery basket shows signs of life. We still believe that the pandemic accelerated a number of important long-term trends. These include, but are not limited, to e-commerce, cloud computing, the move to digital for everything from advertising to payments. We don't expect to backtrack on that progress, but we could see a period where some rotation occurs, and we still have a high opinion of those names that, while good businesses, were disproportionately affected by the environment over the last nine months or so, and may be the victim of some profit-taking. In the fullness of time, we believe these disruptive businesses can produce the most upside versus expectations, and thus can still be significant sources of alpha. Chris, can you provide an example of a key contributor to Q4 2020 performance? In addition to that, can you provide us with a detractor for the mid-cap growth portfolio? The top five contributors to the mid-cap growth portfolio this quarter were automated bill payment enabler bill.com, programmatic advertising leader The Trade Desk, Latin American e-commerce and fintech leader Mercado Libre, cloud-based human capital management company Paycom, and transaction tax software specialist Avalara. One key contributor we would like to highlight this quarter is Avalara. Calculating transaction taxes is a difficult job. For example, in New York City, A plain bagel sliced and toasted is currently taxable, while a plain bagel to go is tax exempt. Texas has tax holidays for cowboy apparel, and in Louisiana, the sale of crawfish production material is also tax-free. On top of that, about 25% of tax laws change every year. Avalara has spent 14 years creating a cloud-based solution to automate the process of identifying and collecting applicable taxes, as well as preparing returns and maintaining records. The company has created a proprietary database of tax rules for disparate industries and overlaid it with its own geospatial boundaries to create a robust tool 
that grows in value as commerce moves further away from traditional brick and mortar. E-commerce now accounts for 50% of revenue, and Avalara is seeing strong demand from enterprise and overseas accounts. The bottom five contributors to the mid-cap growth portfolio for the quarter are premium egg distributor Vital Farms, online tutoring company GSX, telehealth giant Teladoc, core banking software maker Encino, and pizza delivery company Domino's. The detractor that we wanted to spend a little more time on this quarter is Teladoc. Teladoc is the category leader, greater than 75% share, in the rapidly growing area of telehealth and virtual medicine. The business's 95% retention rate, 80% recurring revenue, and nearly 80% gross margins are displaying qualities of a network effect, as the platform has both the largest amount of patients and telehealth doctors. While initially focusing on addressing low acuity and low price diseases, Teladoc has expanded its portfolio to include behavioral, second opinions, and international services. During the COVID-19 pandemic, telemedicine became the go-to way of reaching doctors while staying confined to one's home. Insurance providers and government agencies promoted a telemedicine-first framework, with many assuming all costs. Shares started 2020 in the low 80s, but as it became apparent that the COVID-19 was rapidly reshaping the continuum of care, rocketed to over $250 per share before becoming the victim of profit-taking. The 10% pullback in Teladoc shares in the fourth quarter looks like a prime example of the rotation we spoke about earlier, where money has started to come out of some of 2020's largest winners. We remain confident in Teladoc's long-term potential and believe that over time, we might look back on this event as the pivotal turning point in the widespread adoption of telemedicine. With a continued accommodative low-rate environment, both domestically and globally, can you talk us through what opportunities or challenges you're uncovering? The accommodative interest rate environment definitely benefits low-quality companies by providing access to cheap capital that helps them compete for periods of time with the higher quality companies that we champion. This works against us in terms of relative performance, given our high quality bias. We believe that over time, our companies will greatly benefit from their ability to self-fund growth. But in the meantime, we have to make sure that other competitive advantages are in place to differentiate our businesses from their competitors. On the flip side, actions by the Fed have increased the supply of money and the demand for risk assets. The agency has grown assets on its balance sheet by a whopping 70% since March and maintained a clearly dovish stance on future rate increases. M2, which is defined as cash, near cash assets, and check deposits, is often quoted as a measure of liquidity in the economy. It has grown by greater than 20% for over seven months. That is simply a staggering number, as in 2001, 2009, and 2012, when faced with recessions or extreme economic weakness, M2 growth spiked to just 10%, from a more average level around 5%. This liquidity has helped fuel the rise in prices of multiple assets, from stocks to real estate to art and collectibles. It's something we clearly have to keep in mind as we go forward. Chris, there's been a great deal of discussion around the possibility of reversion to the mean of value now taking the lead over growth, which has done so well for so many years. 
How does this factor your overall investment process? And what do you feel investors should be most focused on? The value versus growth conversation circles back to the questions that we covered earlier. Many of the names in the growth universe fall into that basket of stocks that have benefited from the pandemic. Many names in the value universe fall into the recovery basket of stocks, which have been disproportionately affected in a negative way over the last year. We do believe that some of the recovery names could begin to outperform the pandemic names, but it isn't because they are classified as value or growth. It will be because of a divergence in the rate of change of growth, the so-called second derivative, for the two groups. The growth of the growth names is likely to be slowing, while the growth of the value names is likely to inflect higher. As the value names are relatively underowned, shifts of capital alone could lead to near-term outperformance. Our goal managing this portfolio has not changed, however. We want to own competitively advantaged companies with underestimated medium to long-term growth potential, no matter how they are classified by the index makers. Chris, last question. Since April, markets have been exceptionally strong, leading to an environment of a rising tide lifting all boats. The Russell 2 and 2500 index have between 35 and 40% of the companies with negative earnings and in some cases significant leverage at the individual company level. When you look at the mid-cap growth portfolio, what are some of the considerations moving into 2021 and beyond, and did these factors impact your investment focus? There have been many, many periods throughout history when it seemed like a rising tide lifted all boats. Without fail, the tide eventually goes out, and that is when profitability and balance sheet strength matter. Companies that struggle to turn a profit or rely on a leveraged balance sheet to fund growth almost always struggle to compete with businesses that generate healthy levels of free cash flow and that are unencumbered with costly debt service payments. Our decades of experience managing portfolios has taught us that stock selection always matters in the end. That is why we continue to devote so much of our time to the study of qualitative factors that will lead to sustainable outperformance no matter what the tide is doing. Chris, as always, thank you very much for the insight that you provide our CaneCast listeners, and have a great day. Thank you for your interest in Virtus KAR Midcap Growth Strategy. CaneCast is the official podcast series of Kane Anderson Rutnick Investment Management, CAR. This material is provided as a matter of general information and is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast or research. The opinions expressed herein are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the opinions of CAR or its affiliates, are current as of the date and time of the recording, and are subject to change at any time due to changes in the market or economic conditions. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by CAR to be reliable and are not necessarily all-inclusive. CAR does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of this information. This communication should not be construed as an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any security. Individuals should consult with a qualified financial professional before making any investment decisions. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. To the extent any performance is discussed, past performance is not indicative of future results.